Hello and welcome to The Guardian Podcast. I'm financial journalist John Lappin and today we're talking to Katya McLean, the Chief Executive of Guardian Financial Services. This is the second part of a two-part interview. In the first part, we discussed the COVID crisis in detail. In this second part, we want to talk to Katya about her plans for the business, to get her views on working with advisors and her thoughts on the future of the protection market. Hello, Katya. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Hi, John. Thanks for the invitation. Now, aside from the recent experience of COVID, which we discussed in, in some detail in our last interview, you've been operating as a challenger for more than two years now. What has it been like being a new entrant in an established market? It's been the most fun and hugely interesting to come to market with our big ideas and see what happens when you, those actually hit reality. Um, you know, we, we came with a set of core design principles which were there to challenge the norm, uh, to bring a better offer to advisors and clients. And, and what we found is that those have really been proven to work. Um, we've had great success at strategic distribution level um, with the portals, uh, key protection distributors, winning panel places, at a level that's unparalleled uh, for any other new entrant. And that, that's really for us indicative of the fact that those core design principles that we had were right and have struck a chord with the market, which is really looking for something different. Uh, and to back that up, we're now seeing that in those um, panels and with those distributors, many of them are saying that we're now starting to command a significant share of their business. But I'm not going to pretend that that's been easy. It's it's challenging. It's very challenging. You don't just arrive in the market going, ta-da, with a big fanfare, and then everyone turns around and starts recommending your product. Um, you have to get in there as a new entrant, and you have to really challenge advisors on their established habits, on, on their behaviours and what they're used to. And some of them, those that are, you know, naturally, instinctively seeking the new or who have been actively looking for better have been really quick to persuade. Um, but others who, you know, very likely to be very efficient at using what they already know have taken more effort to convince. Um, and there's another population out there that are simply waiting to see if we can do what we said we'd do you know the, the, the natural skeptics and it's often right to be skeptical um, so they're waiting to see uh, how we look in reality and um, that's absolutely fine and as it should be so we knew this was going to be challenging um, we're not afraid of it and I think I'd probably say we're relishing the, the challenge here Okay, so, so we know advisors usually have a very strong view about how they run their business and the market, who they partner with. You know, they're, they're quite tough cookies in many ways. But um, do you think it's a matter of winning hearts and minds of the advisors? And if so, how have you set about doing so? Yeah, it's absolutely about winning hearts and minds for us now. So, I mean, the, the first element is you have to be visible to the advisors and that's what it's all about when you, you first arrive and you're winning panel positions and, and getting yourself established and out there um, working on brand awareness, for example. But all those things now are a stage that we are past and now we're very much looking at that hearts and minds phase. To think about what that means in a wider advisor community, you just need to think about what a diverse group advisors really are. Uh, you know, there is there is absolutely not a one size fits all for advisors. They have different models, they have different 
client profiles and needs, and there's just a big variation out there. Um, so some, you know, as we've said, some will leap straight in and go, wow, okay, I want to know more about this. This is interesting. And when they look at our offer, they can clearly see that it is better. And you know, we've got so many evidence points to prove that now. For some advisors, it, there is a conversation to have about why they should even be looking for an alternative to what they have recommended in the past. And we need to give them some really good arguments as to why it's in their interests and their clients' interests to move out of their comfort zone. And, and the good thing for us is that Guardian now has proof points, not just promises. So two years ago, we had ideas and promises and we told people what we were going to do. Now we're telling people what we have done and we've got their feedback on it. So the kind of thing we get is um, good feedback from advisors about our proposition, great feedback from advisors about our proposition, um, an, an easy um, online journey uh, for them to work through with their customer. Um, something that's been quite strong for us as we've gone through this year in particular is access to account managers. So even throughout the COVID period, we never had a time when it was difficult to access our account managers. And we, we got quite a lot of feedback saying that we were one of one or two that was still out there um, and you know actively looking to support advisors. Most importantly, uh, in terms of proof points around their proposition, uh, we have paid claims. Um, obviously, having been live for two years, we have now paid claims of every kind and we can demonstrate that we've done those well and we've had excellent feedback on that, that process for the advisors and for the claimant. Um, and uh, importantly for me, we have also proved that our cover upgrade promise, which is one of our, our unique points, um, is is true, we can demonstrate we've done it, we can show that it has worked for everyone. So all of those things, real proof points, tangible things we can point to have made that job of convincing advisors easier. Uh, and we're really into that kind of conversation about, let's talk about it, let's show you the evidence. And there are a lot of advisors to get around, but that's what we're working on. Okay, so you, you mentioned the different approaches and different, different kinds of business across the advisor community. Um, now, you're a protection business that distributes solely through intermediaries, and you have to work out what the different groups are about and, and how they're approaching the market and how they approach protection recommendations as well. But I'd like to talk about the, the, the advisors who are either not currently advising or not advising very much on protection. So how do you, how do you reach them? What, what's, the, what's the discussion that you have with them? that can then maybe encourage them to uh, recommend more protection and, and, and think about Guardian in, in some of these conversations as well. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. So, you know, I, I mentioned that there are this wide variety of advisor models, client needs, um, and variation at, on how important protection is perceived in the overall conversation with the client. Um, but when you come down to it for the absolutely vast majority of people in the UK, um, there is a dependency on an income in there. And that, that income would be disrupted either by a death um, or by some serious ill health. So there, for almost everyone, there is a protection conversation to have. And it's been an interesting time for protection um, in 2020. We've seen increased client willingness to talk about protection through the pandemic. And um, we've also seen 
increased advisor uh, comfort and willingness to talk about protection because it is front of mind for people in a way that it hasn't been in other years. But it's also a time of uncertainty for a lot of advisors um, on their other income streams. Um, and I think you, the, there's a third element which has been playing in for some time, which is a bit of a regulatory focus on uh, whether the, the full scope of advice is being given everywhere and whether how much of a, a part protection should play in that. So when you put all those things together, it's becoming clearer, I think, to everyone that protection isn't a poor relation anymore to other types of advice. It's absolutely critical. Um, and we're starting to see distributors do different measures, um, but all with the aim of increasing the level of protection uh, advice which is given and making sure that clients get a recommendation on where they should. So we've seen a, a range of things. So for example, uh, some of the bigger distributors are putting in uh, referral schemes. So if an advisor uh, doesn't feel that they have the expertise or the time to talk fully through protection themselves. They can refer it on to someone who can. Uh, signposting, which has been a, a big industry initiative recently, which is making sure that if, someone, if a client comes in with some very specific needs, uh, usually around um, uh, you know, types of ill health, then they can be they can be directed to someone who is able to give them advice and find them help. Um, uh, and then there are some some interesting conversations around fair value coming out within the um, the mortgage arena as well. So obviously we we're talking about quality protection. We're talking about good recommendations and and things that that really you know things that really show an understanding of what the client need is as well. But do you think advisors have access to enough research and data? Well, let's not underestimate just how difficult the advisor's job is. Um, there is a huge amount of information out there and a huge amount of difference between uh, the offers from different providers and, of course, all of the understanding of the needs of their individual client as well. So it's, it is a truly um, difficult thing to ask an advisor to do. Uh, particularly when they are doing it as part of a bigger conversation about um, advice, you know, advice more generally around financial services. So um, there are some really good tools out there. Um, it is absolutely right to start to look at value, um, hugely important to do so. And to define that, there are some tools that will help. So things like um, FTRC, Protection Guru, uh, CI Expert, De facto, all of those are out there and they have some great tools to help advisors. They can still be coming up with, you know, 25 different variants of a single product. So I, I think I would argue there is a case for further work to be done on that um, simplification, consolidation we're starting to see a few interesting steps there, like um, an integration between FTRC and Solutions Builder, uh, which will help advisors to get more information in one place. Ultimately, we need as much help as possible for advisors to understand what they need to know so that they can make the right choices for clients. Um, and then, obviously, we have a part to play as well, and we're about to launch a new campaign at Guardian to help advisors really get to grips with some of the differences and why those are valuable for their clients. Okay, so if I threw this back at you and actually said, what exactly do you mean by value? What are you trying to do? 
and what sort of things do advisors need to be aware of when they're when they're choosing different policies from 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 your point of view what is it you'd like to see advisors thinking about yeah it's it's interesting isn't it when the the conversation can often come down to one about price only but there are very very few things in life where people just simply choose the cheapest or where you know most people choose the cheapest so what are the kind of differences that you might expect to see in this industry that would count as valuable well it'd be things like flexibility you know you're buying a long-term product is it does it shift with you naturally as your life changes trust um, and whether you understand it uh, it needs to be tailored to your own needs and you know fundamentally there is a question of quality there will always be a trade-off uh, between price and quality in 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 any market um, so if we pick out a few of the examples where where we have really focused on that value question um, maybe I just talk about you know a few of them um, we one of the most important things for us is this question of joint policies versus dual policies. So if if a couple are buying together, do they get a single policy that pays out on one event or do they get individual policies each? So it is it is very slightly cheaper to buy a joint life policy rather than a dual life policy, although the difference in price is very much less than most people expect most of the time. But there are issues with joint life. Um, and the really obvious one and, and quite you know, emotionally important one is that if one person does die, then the other person is at that point left with no life cover because the policy has paid out and it stops. So the point at which you as an individual, um, having just lost your partner, uh, is suddenly without any kind of life cover for yourself, it, for most people, doesn't feel like a good outcome. And there are almost always still some protection needs. You know, that, you know, you can have an argument about if the mortgage is paid off, there's no protection need left. But going back to my point earlier, most people have a protection need most of the time. So there are still some needs there. We've gone with an approach where we, we just don't offer a joint life policy. Our policies are always dual life so that each individual has their own cover. Um, and that's just exactly to support people in that situation so another big issue when when we talk about protection has always been around the definitions and what's covered so so guardian has a stance on that i believe as well can you can you take us through what that is yeah so definitions are at the core of the value discussion for me uh, when and you know we can talk about this on critical illness and also on life cover actually um, so but let's talk about the critical illness one that's where people often go first when they're talking about definitions um, for me the important thing about definitions is they should cover the client when the client thinks they should be covers, covered so they should be intuitive and that's a very difficult thing to do um, and you know there's a whole lot of medical stuff going on under there but it should pay out to people's expectations so if you've gone in, you know, you've gone into hospital, you've got angina, um, you've been rushed in and you've, you've had some surgery to fit a stent, you're going to expect that you're going to be covered under angina in your policy. But if you look around the market, and you know, more traditional definitions in the market, they'll be looking at, well, you've got to have had two stents put in. Now, there's no, there, 
there's no person lying in their hospital bed that's really going to think, well, that's perfectly reasonable. Um, They're going to think, well, wait a minute, I've had angina and I've been treated for it. So our definition is, you know, it it only requires the fitting of one stent. Um, But there's a whole host of those that run all the way through, um, you know, all of our our product definitions. So wherever possible, uh, we will have a definition which is around the thing that you're your consultant has said to you rather than a medical definition, which we set in stone uh, today, but has to still be fit for purpose in 20 years time because your policy is still running. So we have, we've tried to turn it around and, and turn it as much as possible into definitions, which are based on the diagnosis that your doctor gives you rather than it feeling like we are the ones that are deciding whether you get paid out or not. We want it to be your doctor that's deciding whether you get paid out or not. So that's definitions as they relate to critical illness. What about definitions in terms of life insurance? The point around definitions here is that actually terminal illness plays a very big part in life cover. Uh, and, And most policies will have some kind of terminal illness cover as well. Um, and what has become obvious over the years is that this is an incredibly important part. So it's, it's incredibly important from um, the, the, the customer's perspective and from their family's perspective, because in the situation where someone is suffering from terminal illness, what they, what they would often like to do is to sort out their affairs in advance and to make life as, as simple as possible. Um, for their families by doing things, uh, getting things ready in advance, or they might have another reason why getting getting that payout would would help to make life just slightly better in that very difficult circumstances. And actually, um, when you look at the statistics in the industry, you see that about twenty percent of life claims are for terminal illness. So that's that is a very large percentage. Um, the industry standard at the moment is to say that a terminal, a terminal illness payment will be made if a consultant uh, or a doctor has said that the client has 12, less than 12 months to live. And the doctor actually has to you know, confidently state that someone is going to live for less than 12 months. And that is, that's very difficult for, for doctors to do sometimes um, and very difficult for, their, um, for the individual to hear as well. Um, now, I know this is a really difficult grey area, and actually it's quite a, a hot topic in the industry generally. But as with so many things around this, we can't just shrug our shoulders and say, this is, this is grey, so we're going to retreat behind some technicalities. We have to go out as responsible providers of insurance and seek a better way. So the way that we've approached this is to look at where terminal illness claims are made. What are they made for? And what you find is that a huge number of them, the vast majority of them, are actually made for cancer. So stage four cancer. Now, those are terminal cancers. The doctor may not be able to say that you're going to live for less than 12 months, but it is a terminal diagnosis. Um, so, you know, we, talk, we talked about terminal illness being a really big thing for us on that. Uh, one of the other examples which, which we have talked about um, many times is our cover upgrade promise. So the, the idea in today's world 
that you can treat your existing customers less favorably than new customers is something which has just become impossible in pretty much every industry. And I, I know the arguments um, for saying that everyone should be locked into the definitions that they paid for and that they, they bought. But we have to accept that these policies run for 15, 20, 25 years. Um, and to lock someone into the definitions on the day that they bought 20 years ago is something that just doesn't seem to me to make any sense now. So what we do as we go forward is we, we will always offer an existing customer the chance to have better definitions that we are offering to new customers and just offering it to them in the same way as we might offer it to a new customer. Um, and that is that kind of challenging thinking is something that we very much hope that the rest of the market will, will pick up the challenge there. Um, and they might copy us or they might do something different, but it would be really good to see some uh, you know, bold thinking across the market and, and our experience with distribution and with winning um, all those panel positions is that advisors really are looking for that. It's certainly been an interesting year. Um, lots of surprises, most of them ones that, that we could have done without. But um, what, what does, does the next 12 months hold for Guardian, looking ahead? Yeah, we, we're, we're always looking ahead at Guardian. So the, the next 12 months for us is all about growth. Uh, we, we're, as you would expect, we are in a growth phase. We've grown quarter on quarter, even through the pandemic, um, which is you know, real proof for me that advisors like what we're doing and want to do more of it. So the immediate focus for us now is to do all we can to support advisors to have the protection conversation. We know the clients want to talk about it. We know that the advisors want to talk about it. So they just need some support to be able to do that. We're also really focusing on our digital processes. Um, we, we already get good feedback for our online journeys, but we want to just continue to sharpen those up and make life easier for advisors, particularly at this time when digital working is absolutely the norm. Um, but just as important for us, you know, it, this is, of course, this is about growth for us but it's also about how we challenge the industry and move the industry forwards. Uh, we, we say we're about life made better. Uh, that should be life made better for everyone. So, uh, you know, we throw down the challenge to the industry to develop and grow in the right way. Thank you, Katya, for talking to us today. Thank you, John.